Welcome back to Northway's D Group Podcast. I am Rodney Mills, your host for the week, and I'm so glad you stopped by to visit. This is a podcast for those of us who are on a journey of apprenticeship. We're putting ourselves into what Jesus called the easy yoke. We've connected ourselves to him. We're, we're walking with him, working with him, watching how he does it. Ultimately, this is our goal, that the aim of my life is to be like Christ. So we're looking closely at the Gospels, looking for clues, observing intently on what we might discover in his teachings, all the ways our lives might be conformed to the image of Christ. But we also found that as important as observing and listening to Jesus is, actual learning is found in putting it into practice. We know the truth, and it sets us free as we live it out for ourselves. That's the disciples' freedom, freedom formula. And that's why in our alert journals, using the HEAR method is, is so important to apply and respond by committing to an action. Of course, last week we began this conversation around the gospel of the kingdom. This is the central message of everything Jesus taught. Abundant life is available now to anyone who places their confidence in Jesus. The kingdom is where God is at work on behalf of his people, where what God wants to be done is being done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is the workplace of our apprenticeship. And as a part of that kingdom discussion, I introduced the disciples' priority found in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I summarized it with our big idea from last week. Above anything else, pursue God's kingdom agenda and join with his activity in your everyday traffic patterns of life as you develop the attitude and character of Christ. This disciples' priority is... So important that I actually wanted to spend a, an entire session today talking about the context from which it comes as Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So let's approach this central truth again. Let's go even deeper on the disciples' priority. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand what's really important in life. And so he tackles, first of all, those things which are most likely to distract us. Here it is, Matthew chapter 6, and this is verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says we have two choices here. Treasures on earth, not a great choice, or treasure in heaven, and that's the way to go. I mean, it seems pretty simple, right? But what does it mean, treasure in heaven? Well, one of my goals is to help expand our understanding of heaven as Jesus speaks of it, most of us have a picture of heaven as a place we go after we die. And there are many images given to us by the writers of Scripture that certainly affirm that idea. I was catching up with some close friends of mine a few months back, and 
guys I hadn't talked with for a few months, and we all realized that we had lost people very close to us during that year. A father, I had lost my sister, uh, another one, a mother-in-law. But we took comfort in knowing that heaven in the afterlife is a reality, and I'll bet many of you do too. But heaven should also be understood as the realm of God's kingdom in the here and now. Remember, it's the kingdom of the heavens that Jesus preaches about. He actually invites us into it. It's not just a transaction that we make today and then cash in on it when we die. It is a very present reality. I've sometimes referred to it as living the eternal lifestyle, that that eternity has already begun for us. Thus, we're already thinking and behaving in alignment with that reality. The kingdom of heaven on earth is the very project we've partnered with Jesus to bring about. Much of what Jesus is trying to teach us is about how to live in that reality. And of course, what he has to start with is helping us to unlearn our wrong patterns of thinking and acting that might have served us well when our focus was on our own kingdom, when our attention and affection and allegiance was misplaced. You see, in that old way of thinking, life tends to revolve minimally around self-survival and ultimately on the pursuit of personal happiness and fulfillment or what we might call success at any cost. Survival leads to patterns of protectionism. We're defensive toward our perceived enemies. We, we become resentful toward others, holding grudges, stereotyping the world into categories so we can quickly identify those we can trust and those we can't. We fall into the trap that most people cannot be trusted. They're out to get us. Jesus undoes all of that when he says, pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies, bless those who spitefully use you. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the gunslingers. This is quite a different reality than we normally live. But it's not just survival and protectionism against the enemies of life. We're also seeking to be affirmed, accepted, approved at any cost. We look for social circles to fit into. Maybe we dress a certain way or act in ways that make people think better of us. Jesus says we're potentially guilty of that even in our church circles, using religious activity to appear a certain way to others. But again, the psychological root of our instinct is that we don't want to be rejected. We have a craving, a longing to belong somewhere. Hypocrisy is a small price to pay if I can feel the reward of acceptance. And these are just some of the issues that Jesus is addressing at the end of Matthew chapter 5 and the first half of chapter 6. He's, he's challenging our old ways of thinking and inviting us to see the world differently through the eyes of the kingdom of the heavens. But it's not just the relationship issues that need a kingdom rethinking. It's, it's how we view the material world as well. Jesus talks about finances and materialism more than nearly any other subject throughout the Gospels. He addresses it from the same two sides, survival and success. A survival mentality leads to a worry and fear that I won't have enough. And a success mentality says I need more stuff to feel better about life. I, I still don't have quite enough. And it can be subtle or just outright greed. Thus, we place our confidence in the material, in money, in possessions. We think it has the power to keep us secure and also the power to make us feel so much better about life. It thus holds our attention, allegiance, and even our affection. In other words, it's what we treasure. 
What we treasure is what we hold to be most dear, worth protecting, even putting it in a safe, so to speak. They are the things we love. They are special to us. They they are the things which hold the most value to us. But notice what Jesus is doing here. He's again trying to move us into kingdom of the heavens reality. Thus, he reminds us that earthly treasures are not such a good investment. They They don't last. They may be here today, but who knows about tomorrow? Rust, moths, even thieves. And rather, he says, there are better things to invest in, heavenly or kingdom treasures. And then he just comes right out and says it like it is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. And it begs the question, where do you want to be? Where is your heart? The the issue Jesus is getting at is as much about destination as it is about the treasure. Because evidently, what we treasure leads to where we're going in life. Now, this is critically important, and and I'm going to come back to it in much more detail in a few moments. But for now, it's important to understand that Jesus is trying to help you clarify a very important question. Where do you want to be? He's trying to get us to see that the choices we make with our affections and attention today are going to lead us somewhere And those choices, those treasurings, actually reflect our life path, either intentionally or haphazardly. So take just a moment and reflect on that. Where do you want to be? Envision that for a moment, where you want to end up in life. Not just after death, but in this life. that thought because we're coming back to it. But I want to move on to verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, these seem like a, a strange couple of verses, but, but it really underlines our premise, our premise for this session that there is a different way of viewing the world. Perhaps we could say it this way, your eyes are windows into your soul. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your soul fills up with light. And if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your soul is a dank cellar, a dark, damp cellar. And if you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You see, the person who treasures what lies within the kingdom, sees everything the way God sees it. The person who treasures what's on earth, by contrast, sees everything from a perspective that distorts it and systematically misuses it in practice. How do you see the world? Are you using kingdom eyes? Because this is what Jesus is challenging us to do. How do you view people and possessions? Through earthly eyes of distrust and greed, our souls grow cold and dreary. If we use people and possessions primarily for the purpose of survival and success, it's like pulling the blinds down to the bright light of God's kingdom. Even worse, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're Christ followers when the reality is our attention, allegiance, and affection lies elsewhere. We see it in verse 24 that no one can serve two masters. 
since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. The New Living Translation says it like this, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Well, you know how easy it is to become enslaved to money, don't you? You worry about not having enough. You believe you deserve more than you can afford, thus your largest monthly expense is related to debt. Some of us lie in bed at night worried about how we're going to pay for the kids' college tuition or, or how we'll be able to save enough for retirement. I mean, it's a, it's a fact that financial burdens are one of the number one causes of divorce, depression, and life disorientation. And so it's no wonder, Jesus says, we're enslaved by our ideas about money and possessions. Greed is not the only dynamic of money's ability to lord over us. Jesus wants to set the record straight on what a kingdom-oriented perspective looks like. Because if enslavement to money brings about worry, fear, and greed, those negative and destructive forces that darken our view of the world, pulling the shades down over our souls, what's the alternative? I mean, after all, material needs are very real. Bills do have to be paid, right? Well, Jesus goes on to paint a beautiful picture of what the unencumbered life in the kingdom might be like. Here he is in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So here's this shift between earthly and kingdom perspectives. Yes, food, drink, and clothing, they're essential to living, but not what's really important. There's far more to your life than all of that. In verse 26, he says, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? (laughs) Ah, friend, don't you know how valued you are by God? What a treasure you are to him. He goes on to say that, Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And you got to listen here, friend, because he's talking about a cure for your anxiety here. And why, why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the, how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. Little Faith. Uh, Little Faith is a nickname he gives to his growing apprentices as they're transitioning from earthly perspective to true kingdom perspective. We've all been there, but you don't have to stay there. Jesus gives not a suggestion, but a command here. Verse 31, he says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, And and what he means by the Gentiles is it's people that don't know God or don't know how he works. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is so incredible. I mean, are you hearing all of this? Don't worry about your life. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. The Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. I lack nothing. All I have needed, thy hand has provided Hey, you little faiths, raise the blinds on the window to your soul. Trust the providing heart of your Father. Change your focus from worrying about your needs or obsessing over your wants and start shifting it to the treasures of the kingdom. 
You see, if God gives such attention to the, to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he's going to attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? This, my friend, is what life in the kingdom can be like. Jesus is saying, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. I mean, if there's a more stress-reducing perspective on the Father's love and care for us, I I don't know where it is in the Bible. It's just so comforting. And while Jesus is describing the freedom from stress that comes from shedding our little faith nickname, we can't forget his real point. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, where you're going to end up going. What you treasure today determines the very trajectory of your life. He's challenging us to stop and think about what we're doing and where we're going and how we're supposed to get there. So, as a grandpapa, it's quite common for the TV at my house to get tuned into children's programming. One of the movies that played quite frequently for a while was Disney's story of Moana. She's the young Polynesian island princess who's repeatedly told that her people stay on the island, even though her soul is drawn to the great sea. When food sources start drying up, she sets out on a journey to find a solution for her people. One of her first lessons she has to learn is that she can't just randomly drift with the winds and currents. She has to use the stars to navigate, and so she holds up her hands and framing certain stars and using them as coordinates. And for centuries, this was the way sailors navigated thousands of miles of oceans and seas. You see, without a point of reference, their journeys could easily spiral into being at the mercies of the winds and currents, just drifting along. And choosing the wrong point of reference might still lead them somewhere, but to the wrong destination. And this, my friends, is exactly the problem Jesus came to solve. He says it clearly in so many different ways. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, the disoriented, the ones who were navigating life by the wrong coordinates. The ones who are drifting along aimlessly through life without meaning. The ones who have missed the mark completely, whose journeys have led to shipwreck and ruin. I've come to show them the way. I've come to give them the true point of reference that leads to the life they were meant to live. Here's what he says in chapter 6. If what you treasure in life is survival and success, acceptance and fulfillment through things like the approval of others, financial security, and the acquisition of material things, then then you've established your points of reference. Therefore, that's where your heart is longing to be. You're like a sailor seeking the treasure. You navigate life by those coordinates. But those goals will almost invariably lead to thoughts and behaviors that don't align with God's wishes. On the survival end of it, you end up worrying and stressing about your financial condition. Or on the other end, where you're seeking fulfillment and success, you get sucked into the acquisition and consumption economy where it it never quite seems like you have enough. Relationally, you, you worry about what people are thinking about you. You try to measure up. You try to fit in. Or you go the other way and you get cynical and distrusting, bitter, resentful, and unforgiving. And this is not the life God wants for you. You're way off course. So again, Jesus brings this discussion in Matthew 6 to a climax and offers a clear set of coordinates. If you want to know how to navigate life the way God intended, you need to look no further than Matthew 6.33, what we've called the disciples' priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. 
This is the entire teaching of Jesus summarized in one little verse. This is the disciple's priority. Make the longings of your heart, the things you treasure most, be his kingdom and his righteousness. More than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Now to seek, as the familiar translation says, it means much more than to simply look for it. It means to sink your life into it, to sink your life into the values and the virtues and the vision of the kingdom. It means to get really clear in your understanding of the kingdom as you apprentice your life to Jesus and thereby allow it to capture your heart. You treasure it. In fact, a a little bit later in his ministry, Jesus comes back to this treasure metaphor. This is Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that, that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. I mean, you can can sense the thrill. He's so enraptured by what he's found. He joyfully sells everything else in order to buy the field and experience the treasure of the kingdom. Nothing else matters. It's his new priority. Quite literally, where his treasure is, his heart is. And of course, And this is our big idea for the week, by the way. As your heart is captured by the values, virtues, and vision of the kingdom, righteousness becomes our active response. Now, next week, we're going to go really deep into what Jesus means about righteousness. One of the definitions we'll offer up is this. Righteousness is living out God's ideal for kingdom character and conduct. In other words, we've been captured by the vision of it, now we're living it out, moment by moment. And so now we can, we can start to bring it all together. We have two points of navigation that become the priority of our lives. There's no question about it. Those two points are the kingdom of the heavens and kingdom righteousness. These are the two things we should treasure most. And as we treasure them, that's where our heart is. That's the destination of abundant life today. Not after we die, right here and now. Now, you should have gotten a special card from your D group coach that outlines in great detail this disciple's priority. If you didn't get one, you can download it from the show notes. It might be helpful to have it in front of you while you're listening to the rest of this session, but if not, just listen closely now and, and be sure to review the card later. And I just want to talk about the front of the card for this week. Matthew 6.33 is our foundational passage Seek first the kingdom and righteousness, and I've paraphrased it like this, above anything else, pursue God's kingdom agenda and join with his activity and your everyday traffic patterns of life as you develop the attitude and character of Christ. His kingdom and his kingdom righteousness are our two coordinates that enable us to know where we're going and how to get there. We'll take a close look at these two coordinates. Let's start with the kingdom. The kingdom is where what God wants to be done is being done. Most often in partnership with his followers, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And by studying intensely through the gospels, you're learning the values, virtues, and vision of the kingdom as Jesus has so clearly presented it. And in doing so, you're like that man who joyfully sold everything he had to own the treasure of the kingdom. It is a passionate pursuit, digging through his parables and preaching and teaching to uncover every nugget of gold that Jesus has to offer up. Remember, the clearer the vision, the more power it has to pull you out of your old thinking into kingdom thinking. 
I often use Eugene Peterson's three-point description of the kingdom as a quick way to explain it to people. It's God reality, God initiative, and God provision. Real quickly, let's hit those. God reality is, is explained like this. The kingdom is everywhere you live as a follower of the king. He is present, and you are his representative. So practice the presence of God throughout your day. Maybe even offer up this little prayer every hour or two. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Help me to know and do your will in each circumstance. Maybe even use your smartphone reminders if you have to until this becomes a heart habit for you. God reality. He is with us. He is here right now. The second part of that is God initiative. That the kingdom is not a passive location. God is active and at work, both within us and through us. God is longing to set things right. And so you need to notice his activity in your own life and be on the lookout for how you can partner with him in the lives of others. In fact, I'd even suggest keeping a a written record in a journal of where you see the activity of God in your life. And then thirdly, the kingdom is all about God provision. In the kingdom, the righteous are never forsaken. Practice trusting him for everything. And remember that under the shepherd's care, you lack for nothing. He never gives you an assignment that he doesn't also provide the resources. So as you get a clear grasp on the values, virtues, and vision of the kingdom, you're now ready to respond in action. You're treasuring righteousness or right living. And we'll talk a whole lot more about that next week. I encourage you to download this week's transcript because at the end of it, you'll see I've added some probing questions that might help you pray through what we've talked about here. Ah, friends, there's no getting around it. His kingdom and his righteousness are to be the treasures of our hearts. Remember, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He said, unless our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, we won't even be able to see the kingdom. But when we long for it, when we prioritize it, treasure it in our hearts, we're promised that it will come to pass. Oh, it's so clarifying, even liberating to me to hold the simplicity of this message in my heart. It's just amazing how disoriented to the message and mission of Christ we become, even as longtime believers. But let this be our North Star, our guiding light of love, to set every other idea of religiosity aside and focus wholly and completely on these coordinates. Let's not get distracted by the fear of not having enough by the, or by the attractive nature of acquisition and consumption. After all, we have the blessed promise that the loving care of our precious Heavenly Father will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. Let's live in the reality of His kingdom, watching His initiative, trusting Him for our provision. Let's hunger and thirst for right character, saturated and overflowing in His loving compassion, partnering with Him to set things right in the world. Let's pursue His kingdom agenda, doing our part in reorienting others to the life they were meant to live. Let the all-consuming prayer of our hearts and the alignment of our actions be, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 